Bibles. Let's get in tonight. What do you say? We're going to pick up where we left off. For those of you, if it's your uh, first time here, I I apologize. Um, We're in, well, sort of, like as a courtesy, not like I'm apologetic for my preaching or anything along those. I don't ever want to send the wrong message when I say I apologize. I believe in unapologetic preaching. Do you understand that? I also believe in trying to be courteous, and so I'm trying to do that as I get older, but um, I, I, if, I, if this is kind of a little bit kind of jumping right in sort of deep, um, I'll do my best to not lose you, but we're going through the book of Revelation on Sunday nights. We've been going through Romans verse by verse on Wednesday nights, and then I preach uh, regular messages on Sunday morning. And I've been preaching through the book of Psalms, but uh, we teach verse by verse in some of these other um, uh, services that we have. And we're going through the book of Revelation. And tonight we're in kind of high cotton because we're dealing with uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 3. And as I showed you last time, we were uh, three and a half years from the end of the tribulation period at this point. So if you, don't, if you haven't been taught a lot of Bible and all that stuff, this is kind of hard to understand, but I try to put it as simply as I know how. Uh, so those of you that this is just pure repetition, please forgive me, all right? But here's the, here's the situation. The day and age that you're living in right now, okay, this is called the church age. Um, God gave the Apostle Paul your doctrine, He's the apostle to the Gentiles. If you go through your Bible, you'll look at the book of Romans. It's to the saints in Rome, a local area. And then you got 1st and 2nd Corinthians. It's to the church at Corinth. You got Galatians to the church in Galatia and Ephesians to the church in Ephesus. So you can see as you're reading through your Bible that there's a portion of the New Testament that the apostle Paul wrote that is giving you the doctrine that you have for the day and age that you're in right now. All right? What are you sitting in tonight? What do you call it? We're going where? We're going to church. church. Well, do you realize the church as you know it did not exist back here? So there's an entire portion of your Old Testament Bible that doctrinally had nothing to do with you. In other words, the way I like to say this is, you don't bring a lamb in here and slit its throat for forgiveness of your sins or for remission of your sins, do you? Well, that's in the Bible, isn't it? And it's right, ain't it? Because every word of God is pure. So what you have to understand is that there's something that Paul taught Timothy, and he said that you have to rightly divide the word of truth. So what we believe in this church is we believe in rightly dividing our Bible. So when you go to the Old Testament, you read it. Uh, Paul told you to the church, he said, those things which were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So I preach regularly through the Old Testament, and we make application doctrinally to the day and age that you live in. And you get a lot of help from reading about Abraham and David and Samuel and Moses and Elijah and... But the doctrine they were taught is not for you, right? You come into the New Testament and you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And honestly, Matthew, Luke, uh, Acts, Revelation, Hebrews, these are all the books that become stumbling blocks to most Christians because they say, well, we're in the New Testament, so it must all apply to us. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that when Jesus came in the book of Matthew and he's preaching the Beatitudes and he says, if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive yours. What? Is anybody, don't raise your hand, but does anybody in the room need to work on some forgiveness? (laughs) Now, according to that verse, if you don't forgive your brother, God doesn't forgive you. He says, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to go through life maimed than to enter into hell fire. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It's better for you to go through life uh, uh, lame than to enter into hellfire. Now think about that for a minute. Well, if your hand and your foot offends you, are you born again here tonight? If you're born again here tonight, since you've been saved, has your eyes ever offended you? I mean, have you looked at stuff you shouldn't look at? Has your foot offended you? Have you done some things since salvation that you should not have done? 
Well, if you're going to apply that passage in Matthew to you and I doctrinally right now, he's saying pluck your eyeballs out if you're struggling with what you look at. Cut your hands off if you're struggling with what you eat or what you drink or what you smoke or what you do. Cut your feet off if you stop going. Because if you don't stop yourself, you're going to wind up in hell. Now that's taught clearly in the passage. But Paul tells you and I that our salvation is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saves us. Paul tells us that if we deny him, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Paul tells us that we're sealed unto the day of redemption. So is there an error in your Bible? Or do we maybe just need to learn to rightly divide it? When you're in Matthew, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. That is a time coming in the future when Jesus Christ will literally rule and reign for a thousand years on this planet called the millennial kingdom. It's the 1,000 year reign of Jesus Christ. He's going to reign over this thing with a rod of iron. And I'm really looking forward to getting into this with you as time goes on because the Lord's given me some really good stuff here. Heaven is not going to be you floating around on a cloud playing a harp. You guys realize that you are going to be extremely busy, not just for a thousand years in the millennial reign, but beyond that, when eternity future starts, I got some stuff to show you that I recently learned. Somebody sent me a great source, and I've been listening to that stuff, and everything's Bible. It's great stuff. In eternity future, you're not just like, what are we going to do forever and ever, just float around and play harps? You're going to be working, actively working. In the millennial kingdom, it says he is going to reign with a rod of iron. You know what that means? That means there's people pushing back against his reign. And you and I are supposed to rule and reign with him in the millennium. That's, that's a thousand-year period coming in the future. Before he comes back and sets up as the king of the Jews, right? When he came, he was the king of the Jews. And they said, we will not have this man, what? Reign over us. They said, his blood be on us and on our children. And shook their face, their fist in the face of God and said, back off. And we'll take his blood on us, and thereby you have the holocausts and all the other horrible atrocities that have happened against the Jewish people. It's a curse they put on themselves that God honored. Because they said, his blood be on us and on our children. They rejected their king. And then, I'm going to show you, well, we should get to it tonight, I hope, we'll see. But what happened is, this whole church phase was not something that was necessarily had to happen. It's called the mystery of the church. It was hidden, and Paul makes it clear, it was hidden in the Old Testament and revealed to the Apostle Paul. So as you're reading through your Bible and you come to the book of Acts, that's called the Acts of the Apostles, there's a learning curve and a process going on where the Apostles are sitting down by Acts chapter 15 and they're hammering this stuff out between them is like, what is even salvation about and circumcision about? You go to the book of Acts and you start applying Acts doctrinally to you and I and you're going to be in a wreck. God gave Israel a second chance after Christ was crucified to accept their Messiah, and that runs you all the way up to Acts chapter 7, and again they stoned Stephen, and at that point Paul comes on the scene and God turned from Israel to the Gentiles, and the church comes into play. Now if you can understand this stuff, all your Bible will make more sense than you ever imagined it could. And you won't have to correct or change one verse anywhere in the Bible, you can believe it just like it's written. What God said is this, if I broke off the Jews, which are my chosen people, and I showed you last week that that's the woman in Revelation 12.1, right? We ran the references on that because the church is never called a woman. She's called a virgin. And she's never referred to as a woman. She's referred to as a bride. But over here in Revelation 12.1, he talks about a woman. And we ran the references showing you that that woman is Israel. So what God did is he divorced Israel. And I made the point, and I want to reiterate the point, God himself is divorced. You got a bunch of guys that are, I'm not trying to be mean. I just want you to have the truth. You got a bunch of guys that are that deep in the scriptures in pulpits preaching the word of God. They don't even believe the Bible they preach. Because when they run into something that says, well, God hates putting away, right? Listen, God hates it when you get divorced. You don't just divorce your wife because you're sick of her or divorce your husband because you're sick of them. God hates putting away. But guess what? God's very realistic. 
He lays out three exceptions in the Bible that I'm not teaching on tonight, but there's three reasons in the Bible you can justifiably and scripturally get divorced and get remarried and go on with your life. Three reasons. One of those reasons is if your spouse cheats on you, you have a right. You're freed from those marriage bonds because they went by physically, whether they had a ceremony or not, they married themselves to somebody else and you were freed from the bonds because they broke the bond. Now, it's better if you can to forgive and work it out in the name of Jesus Christ. That would be probably be better. But the Lord understands that can't always happen. And so they freed you by stepping out on you and you're free. Guess what Israel did to God? Guess what he calls her all the way through those Old Testament passages I showed you some last time. He calls her a whore. He says, you're worse than a whore. You're, a, you're an adultering wife. You stepped out on me. You're unfaithful to me. You went and cheated with me with Baal and Ashtoreth and all these other gods. I broke her off. I put her away. God is divorced. He said, if I'll break her off, church, Gentiles, you better believe I'll break you off too. That's Romans chapter 11, I believe it is. We'll get there as we go through Romans. So what you're seeing right now, what you're watching happen in the day and age you live in, is you're watching the process of the Gentiles acting just like the Jews did. And the reason you know that's the case has nothing to do with the world. It has nothing to do with the president. It has nothing to do with the liberals. It has nothing to do with LGBTQ. It has nothing to do with any of that stuff. The reason you know we're getting close is the state of the church. God's people, his bride. And the way the church is acting nowadays where they will not put up with truth, they will not put up with any stand, they will not put up with morality, they will not put up with preaching, they are rebellious toward God and toward all authority. It's don't you dare tell me what to do, even if you are God. And the Bible might say that, but the Bible's not relevant, and the Bible's outdated, and that's old school, old-fashioned, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't work nowadays. Somebody asked me this morning in the lobby, he said, without telling me his position, he said, well, what do you think about a wife and a husband? I said, what do you mean? He said, like, like an authority structure. I said, well, we preach the Bible here. So the Bible says that the husband's the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. A man's under God and his wife's under him. And he is staring at me. I said, now, that doesn't mean you get to abuse your position because you're told as a husband to love your wife as Christ loved the church and give yourself for her. So here's the fact of the matter. A woman should follow her husband as long as her husband's following God. Because I know some filthy husbands that take that verse and know enough Bible to say you're supposed to submit to me and then try to get their wife to do things I can't even say in public. And when a man tries to tell you not to follow God, you don't have to follow him anymore. We're talking about authority structure. We believe the Bible here. He said, I'm glad you said that. That's exactly what I believe. I was like, good, I'm glad we agree. I didn't know whether we did or not, but I'm going to tell you the truth before I know or care what you think. No, nothing personal individually. I'm just telling you we're about the truth here. You're in a day and age where the church doesn't want the truth. And so you're like, wow, I can't believe you have how many people? Like, are you kidding me? 30 years ago, a church like this, we'd have hundreds by now. What's happening? The church is rejecting their Savior. So God's going to get done with the Gentiles, and what he's going to do is he's going to catch the church out. It's called the catching away. It's called the rapture. And when he does, a time period on this earth is going to take place just for a few years. That's called the Great Tribulation, or it's called the time of Great Tribulation. It's also called the time of Jacob's Troubles. That's Israel. And what you're dealing with is when God begins to deal with the Jews to bring the Jews back to their Savior... They're going to just about get wiped off the map before the Lord shows up and he's going to miraculously protect them from the Antichrist and from everything going on in the world. And we've been looking at this thing for a while now, so it'd take you quite a bit to catch up. If you go back, you can listen to the audios or whatever to get caught up. But millions of people are dying all over the planet. Famines are taking place. Wars are taking place. It's getting terrible. And now you come down to the last three and a half years, and that's where we're at when we get to Revelation chapter 12. And we started looking last week at this seven-headed dragon in verse number three. So I showed you that the wonder in heaven is the woman, that's Israel, and she being great with, uh, she being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. Right? And there appeared another wonder in heaven. So verses one and two go together. 
And now we're stepping out of that first vision, that first thing that he's seeing, and he's stepping into something else that he sees, and he's going to begin to explain to you something else he sees, and then he's going to tie these two together. And as you go down through this chapter, you got to watch where he makes the divisions in order for it to fit. Now, a lot of people complain about reading the Bible, but God was super genius in the way he wrote this book. It's written in such a way so that you can understand it if you'll believe it. But it's also written in such a way that you'll spend the rest of your life studying it and it'll continue to be amazing and wonderful and you won't ever lose the basics that you get as the Spirit of God teaches you the basics, but you will be able to build on that and some of the stuff that's fuzzy will clear up with time. God wrote this thing the way he did on purpose. So there's a lot of criticism to be had from a human standpoint, but from a divine standpoint, it is absolutely amazing and wonderful. So try to stay with me as we go through here. I'm going to run some references with you tonight because we started focusing in on the devil last time. And I don't, I don't like teaching on the devil. And I do not re- recommend that you go out of here and start looking stuff up on the internet. Do you hear me? You don't know what spirit you're tuning into. The way to learn about this is the pure way, the way God would have you to learn about it. Go to your father. Like I said this morning, my dad taught me to come ask him any question in the world. No matter how embarrassing or no matter how private, you come ask dad. Because it was his responsibility to teach me the right way from the right source rather than get my mind corrupted from the world. When you have questions, go ask dad. Because he'll give it to you the right way from the right source and won't get you messed up. I'm telling you, you go out of here and you get on YouTube or whatever else you do nowadays and you listen to some guy, I don't care how many subscribers he has or how many followers he has. You better look at the root and source of those guys. I know some YouTube ministries by preachers that claim to believe the Bible that literally built their entire ministry off of pure rebellion to the authorities. The cops say, roll down your window. He says, I'm not going to do it. I'm a sovereign citizen. The cops smash his window and pull him out of the car, and he winds up on the news and launches a YouTube channel based off of rebellion, disrespect. He's a punk. That's what he is. He's a punk. And the proof's in the pudding if you know anything about his ministry and you see how any of that stuff plays out. And now he's into false doctrine that says the church has replaced Israel. Oh, well, look at how many followers and clicks he's got. Yeah, he's probably set up in his mommy's basement. You can't tell by looking at YouTube. You better be careful going to those sources. God gives you a local church and a pastor and a Bible so you can get the truth the right way. So let's get in the Bible and let's learn what we need to know. Paul said this about the devil in 2 Corinthians 2.11. He said, you're not ignorant of his devices. One of the tricks in battle is not having enough knowledge. Sun Tzu in the art of war you got to know yourself, and you got to know your enemy. Because if you know yourself and your enemy, you won't be imperiled in a thousand battles. If you only know one of the two, it's a 50-50. If you know neither, you're dead. So you need to know yourself, and you need to know your enemy. But you need to know him the way God wants you to know him. So what you're looking at in Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, is another wonder in heaven. It appeared another wonder, and behold, a great red dragon... Now watch, he has seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. Now, this is a seven-headed dragon. They'll tell you it's some kind of a figure. Well, not when we run the references in the Bible. We ran some last week. The first thing I want you to see, though, is that there's seven crowns on the heads of this dragon. He's a king. And he's got seven kingdoms over which he reigns. The first kingdom was Nimrod with Babel at 2400 B.C. The second kingdom, if you go down through world history, you see these major kingdoms set up. The second kingdom was called the ancient kingdom or the early kingdom. That's the Egyptian empire. That ended about 800 B.C. Sennacherib with the Assyrian empire ended 606 B.C. That's three. Nebuchadnezzar with the Babylonian empire, that's 536 B.C. That's four. Media Persian Empire ended about 330 B.C. That's number five. Greece shows up with Alexander the Great. That's 100 B.C. And then the Roman Empire takes over after that and ends about 346 A.D. How many major world empires were there? How many crowns on his head? What's Corinthians tell you? He's the what of this world. 
What's Ephesians 6 tell you? Rulers of the what? Darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. He's a seven-headed dragon. Now, what we're going to see when we get to Revelation 17, so just stick it in your memory bank and we'll get back to it. You know what empire is still in charge? It's the seventh. You say, wait a minute. No, it's not Rome. It's called Mystery Babylon the Great in Revelation 17, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now, we'll look at it when we get there, but it's a mystery. That visible kingdom of Rome transitioned from that powerful kingdom into the Roman Catholic Church. And it's a city set over there on seven hills, and it is still in power today. He's gotten more subtle and more spiritual than ever before, but he is there. And how the devil works is in religion. This seven-headed dragon, I'm going to run some references with you. Let's go ahead and overlap a little bit of last week. Go to Job 41. You've got to understand your enemy. Because if you don't understand your enemy, you're going to wind up in trouble. In big trouble. Uh, verse number 18, we were looking at this last time. And this will help some of you younger folks especially. Uh, the Bible tells you he's a dragon, right? Uh, Job chapter 41, I told you last week, it talks about Leviathan and all the new Bibles. And some of you, probably quite a few of you in the room, probably have a notation in your Bible there, depending on what Bible you got. I know you all got King James Bibles. I'm not knocking you on that. But sometimes the study Bibles, they'll put a little note there and say it's a crocodile. Well, we saw last time Job 41 couldn't possibly be a crocodile. Uh, I've ate alligator tail. You can kill a crocodile. This thing can't be killed. Whatever this thing is, it's so notorious it can't be killed. Crocodiles don't breathe fire. Whatever this Leviathan is in Job chapter uh, 41, look at verse 18, by his kneesings, that's a sneeze or an exhale, a light doth shine. Well, you, uh, you sit your kids down and watch these little cartoons, and what do the dragons do? <sighs> breathe fire. And his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lamps, and sparks of fire leave out. Out of his nostrils go a smoke out of a seething pot. His breath kindleth coals, and a flame goeth out of his mouth. You kids looking at me? They say smoking's not in the Bible. Oh, you know those, those things are cancer sticks, don't you? You know they'll kill you. I'm not saying if you smoke, you're going to hell. Just Relax. I told you a bit last time, I'll tell you again, we've always had smokers in this church. I'm not telling you you're the devil. I, I think you need to try to get the victory over it and pray hard and fight hard and don't quit till you do get the victory. But you kids that ain't started smoking yet, who do you think is getting you to do that? What image do you think you're actually in? When you're breathing smoke out your nose and you're kindling coals with your breath, you know, smoke that dope and you're breathing that stuff out. Let it come out your nostrils. Who do you think's inspiring you to do that? It ain't God. God gives life. You know what the devil gives? He's come to steal your life. Those cancer sticks will cut your life short. I'm just preaching at the kids for a minute, mom and dad. Is that all right? I mean, you don't care, do you? You're making too much out of it. No, you don't make enough out of it. It's it's the wrong image. You never look at a preacher. If I stood out here on the front porch and just lit up a cigarette... Okay, guys, thanks for coming. You wouldn't take me seriously. Don't even look at me like you would. You would not take me seriously. Well, I say, come on, man, let's go to the bar, man. I'm wore out after church. I need to go tie, you know, tie one on a little bit and relax. You would not take me seriously. You know what's right. You know what's of your father, the devil, and what ain't. I'm not calling you the devil if you smoke, right? You need to get the victory over it. You know, I personally, like, oh, I probably shouldn't go here. This is the holy grail. You know, you can't touch this one. If, you're, if you don't control your diet, it's just as bad for you. Okay, anyways, let's just get off that. That's not going over well. I don't hate you. I really don't. I want to help you. Look at this guy. Look at some things about the devil. The devil's a smoker. <laughs> Look at verse 34. <laughs> Look at, it, look at him in verse 34. He beholdeth all high things. Come on, man. Let's go get what? We're going to get high. Ain't that weird? Where does that terminology come from? You're going to go do a drug that's a downer, and what do you call it? Getting stoned. 
Well, I'll show you the stone in a minute. I'm just telling you. He is king over what? And you got an entire world now, not just a country. It's heartbreaking. That has pride month. Guys get their legs blown off for your country. And they get a day. And you give a bunch of LGBTQ people that want to shake their fist in the face of God and use the rainbow, which is God's promise, as a ha, 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 you can't get me now. And they call it Pride Month. Now, I'm telling you, folks, that's the God of this world that is demonic. I'm not saying all those lost people are demonic. They need Christ. I'm saying the spirit of that thing is not the spirit of God. That's the spirit of the devil. Notice some more about him. That's not all. We're having lots of fun, aren't we? So he's proud. Look at him. He has no fear. Look at verse 33. Upon earth there is not his like who is made without fear. Satan does not fear God or anything else. The devils believe and tremble. His imps believe. His imps believe so much they're afraid. The devil does not have fear. You see a generation of kids that have no fear at all. They're not afraid of their repercussions. Six-year-old will shoot his teacher in class. Something going on, folks. That ties back to this morning. They weren't being chastened by mama and daddy. That's what it is. They got no fear for repercussions. That's the devil. He doesn't worry about repercussions. He does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. He does it now, and he'll worry about the repercussions tomorrow. You better think about what you do before you do it. Because it ain't the Spirit of God telling you to just go for it and don't worry about the repercussions. You better worry about the repercussions. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Think about the fallout of your action. It's demonic not to. But there's more. He's proud. Look at verses 23 and 24. The flakes of his flesh are joined together. They're firm in themselves. They cannot be moved. He's stubborn. He won't be moved. Don't, don't be that way. The Spirit of God does not lead you to be somebody who won't change. Can, can your spouse plead with you? Do you have some flexibility to you? I'm not talking about being flexible on doctrine and on things that matter. I'm talking about being a stubborn jerk that won't bend, won't bow. Well, you're a fool. That's a foolish way to live your life. It's a demonic way to live your life. You cannot have good relationships around you if you cannot give a little. That's Lucifer. He will have everything his way. Look at the next verse. His heart is as firm as a stone. Getting stoned, huh? Yeah, you're numb to the truth. You're numb to repercussions. You'll do stuff when you're higher, when you're stoned, that in your right mind you wouldn't do. And you'll live with the fallout of your actions the rest of your life. Lost guy said to me not long ago, he said, uh, I, could have, I can have whatever girl I want. I said, yeah, and you know what else? God might give you a little something that comes with her that you get to keep the rest of your life long after she's done with you and gone. And he said, you know what, man, you're right. And he put his head down like that and turned beet red. I said, I'm sorry, I'm a preacher. I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Be hard-hearted. Stupid. I'm not saying that to put you down to be mean. I'm saying it to wake you up a little bit. Sometimes they say something like that and people are like, whoa, good. Yet don't be stupid. Don't be hard-hearted. That's the devil. His heart is as firm as a stone. Yeah, his heart is a piece of the nether milestone. What a thing. I want you to see some things about him back here in the Old Testament. Look at Ezekiel chapter 28, if you would. Ezekiel chapter 28. You've got to think about repercussions for your actions, folks. Or if not, you're being deceived by the devil. I showed you last week, he turned sorrow into joy before him, right? He turned sorrow into joy. You, you know why it feels so good to get drunk? It, by the way, kids, it feels great. It feels great to get high. It feels awesome. That's why your friends are like, try this, man. It's awesome. It feels great. The devil turns sorrow into joy. 
Oh, it feels so good. Okay. He tricked you because he gives you this much joy, this much euphoria, this much pleasure out of something that's pure sorrow. And then after you get this much pleasure, joy, and euphoria, you have to live with the repercussions of that that are damning and destructive, life-destroying the rest of your life. But that's demonic. It's fun. Yeah, the Bible said, God said there's pleasure in sin. But that's not where the verse stops. (laughs) For a season. It is Satan that makes that thing. That's why the whole thing about wet paint don't touch. Your human nature wants to touch it. As soon as it says wet paint don't touch, you want to touch it. You'd never thought about it. Nobody in this room would touch this pulpit. You'd come and go all day long, and you wouldn't even come by this. If I hang a sign up here, I will guarantee you, you watch the kids come up here. And some of you adult kids will do the same thing. And then you go, oh, I think it's dry. That's sin in your nature is what that is. It's not a sin to touch the pulpit. No, there was a sign that said, don't touch. And something inside of you said, well, if you're telling me not to, there must be a reason. That's the pleasure of sin. That's why it feels real good when you're doing it and you know it's wrong. That's what Lucifer does with it. He takes sorrow. You understand sorrow? Sorrow. And turns it into joy. But once you're done having your fun, season's over and it's time to pay the piper. I would just rather have the joy of the Lord, thank you. I'd rather have it clear on through and then when the going gets rough, I got him and my conscience is clear and he'll carry me through the other side and then just have him some more. I don't want the repercussions of that stuff. Look at Ezekiel 28 and give you plenty of time to get there. Verse 14, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so, thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Notice the anointed cherub. Do you know what the word anointed means? It has to do with Christ. Christ is anointing. You know what Lucifer is? He's a Messiah. I didn't say he's the Messiah. I didn't say he's the Messiah. I said he's a Messiah. Messiah simply means a savior or a leader, a savior of a particular group or cause. He's anointed. In the tribulation period, he shows up as the anti-Christ. He's going to sit down over there in Jerusalem and say, I'm Jesus and I'm here to solve your problems. And they're going to believe he's Christ. Now that's scary because that's not all that he does. Go to, Revel- go to John chapter 14, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 14. I'll show you something else about him. John chapter 14 and verse 30. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. So Lucifer is a dragon. He's a serpent. He's called the devil and Satan. That was all back in Revelation 12. Those are his names. And he's Leviathan of Job 41. And then we've seen that he's an anointed Christ. We've seen that he's a prince in this verse. What's Jesus Christ? The prince of... Oh, He's the prince of peace, and he said the prince of this world's coming. But that's not all. Go back to Luke chapter 4. I've got to hurry. Luke chapter 4. The devil quotes the Bible. If that don't scare you, nothing will. Luke chapter number 4, look at verse 9. This is the temptation of Christ, right? So after he's given them a couple of temptations and they haven't worked, the devil pulls out his A game on Jesus. And when he pulls out his A game on Jesus to try to get Jesus to mess up, he quotes scripture to him. Luke chapter 4, verse 9, And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written... You mean Lucifer has scripture memorized and is quoting it to Jesus. He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. 
You know what he quoted? He quoted Psalm 91.11. I can't wait to get there. Two more Sundays and we'll get to Psalm 91. It's probably my favorite psalm. You know what he did? He omitted part of the verse. He omitted in all thy ways. When Lucifer went to tempt Jesus Christ and try to get him to sin, he said, if this other stuff ain't getting to you, making bread and the rest of that, if that ain't getting to you, then I know what to do. I'm going to quote Bible. He'd been fasting for 40 days, right? Turn the stone into bread. Aren't you hungry? Jesus said, I ain't doing that. I'm not doing that. When he couldn't get to him through the flesh, you know what he did? He got religious. And he starts quoting the word of God to your Savior. You know how Jesus rebuked him? With Bible. Jesus answered and said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when Jesus quoted Bible back to him, he left him alone. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Now go to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Folks, the Bible tells us, you don't have time for all the references. The Bible tells us he's a thief. He cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. (laughs) Well, ain't you watching him destroy a country? A world? Haven't you been watching him destroy marriages since probably the, I don't know, since probably the 60s or so? Just wrecking marriages. I talked to you last week about the great divorce. What a state our nation is in. When it's the old people, the old people, married 30, 40, and 50 years, divorcing each other. Why, and one old lady said, I don't want to die next to him. I cannot fathom it. That's the state you're in. He goes after the family structure because God set up a family structure. You understand that, right? (laughs) What's happened to the family structure, folks? I'm not beating you up if you got a busted up family. Most of this church does. Or comes from one or is connected to one somehow. I'm not beating you up. I'm pointing out to you what the devil's done. That's why we need to be right where we are tonight. I mean right here. 52909, 10 miles sitting on a pew asking God to help us because we're all a soup sandwich. Amen. But that's the work of the devil. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He hates families. He hates churches. And what he is doing is done everything he can to destroy them. But I preached to you last week or whatever it was about all those uh, people that actually suffered and were martyred for their faith down through the centuries. The more the devil came and tried to wipe churches out by taking people to jail and murdering, having the Catholic Church or all the other sources all down through history murder the women and murder the children and murder the men and all that stuff. The more they did that, the more the church multiplied. So Lucifer's been around a long time and he's got a long time to go, believe it or not. He comes up at the end of the millennial kingdom and gets a whole bunch of people to attack the holy city. We'll see it as we go through Revelation. You think it's over at the end of the, at, at the millennium? It ain't. He comes up out of hell at the end of the millennium, and all these people on this planet that are rebellious toward God without the devil's presence in the millennium. I told you, you're not going to be bored. You're going to be dealing with stuff as you rule and reign. If you're faithful now and you do right now, you have a chance to reign with them in the millennium and you'll be busting some heads. You'll be law enforcement for Jesus. <laughs> it's going to be cool, man. I don't, I don't know where you got this. I think preachers stop teaching and preaching the Bible. That's what happened. And you all think that, you know, might as well have fun now because when we get there, we're eternally secure. We're going to get some gold, silver, precious stone. And we're going to float around on a harp like some kind of a little, you know, guy with wings off and a diaper on. You know, like, I mean, that's what, like, that's what you think eternity. That's what you think heaven is. That ain't what it is. That's not from a Bible. So since beating them, just beating them down didn't work. The devil got smart. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 12. But what I do, that I will do. Uh, You don't have time. We went through this not long ago, but he was purposefully preaching and teaching a certain way because he was setting up people that would come in behind him and try to teach false doctrine. I was taught that years ago when I was in business. I, I was taught that when you're trying to negotiate a deal and get a deal, you want to get a contract signed. Almost everybody consults three different companies. So what you have to do is find out when you talk to them, you want to position yourself, either first or last, preferably first. 
And if not, then be last. But know where you're at in the lineup. And then also be aware of the, 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 um, the, the bombs that they set for you to step on walking in. And if you're the first guy on the door, set the bomb for the guy behind you. So that was real easy for me as a Christian. Because I could be honest and I could sit down and say, look, here's the facts of the matter. And when my competitors come in here and show you their quotes, I want you to ask them this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And then ask them why they didn't show you that up front, because that's going to be in there. They just won't show you. But I'm showing you. Oh, thank you. And then the next guy comes in and sits down across the desk and he gives his quote. And then he says, well, what about this, this, this? And they're like, well, 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 you weren't honest with me. That guy was honest. And they're stepping on my landmines. See? Smart, huh? That's business. You know what Paul was? Paul wasn't stupid. Paul knew these snakes had come in, especially when God's blessing and trying to multiply that thing. These snakes were going to come in behind him and try to spread false doctrine in the church. And so up front, he told them how they were going to act and what they were going to do. And he said, what I do, I will do. I'm going to keep being straight. I'm going to keep being aggressive. I'm going to keep being right on it. I'm going to show you the truth so that you know when those snakes show up, what you're dealing with. That I may cut off, see, occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. So they're coming in and presenting themselves to be something they're not, and I'm going to show you the truth about what I am, and I want you to see what they are. I want them to absolutely be obvious to you when they show up. Why? Because false workers were coming into that ministry like subtle little snakes to try to split up what God was doing and get false doctrine going and get those people a wedge driven between them and their preacher. Look, I don't want to drive a wedge between me and you. I do everything in my power. I've seen it over the years. I've seen it and seen it and seen it. I've seen how often preachers drive wedges. I try hard not to drive a wedge between me and you. You know what the devil does? He does everything he can to drive a wedge between me and you. I'm not perfect. I never told you I was perfect. I'm sorry for that. I'm trying. I'm growing. I'm a work in progress. So if you stick around, like Dave D said over a decade ago, man, you know what? I was thinking about it here recently because I was telling somebody about my deacons. All the deacons by October will have been here 15 years. (laughs) All three of my deacons. One's 40 almost or are you are 40. Huh? You are 40 now, old man. One's 52 or something like that. He's out there in the lobby. One's 64 or something. What a blessing, man. I mean, the stability of that, what a blessing that is. We've been here a long time. We're trying to do right. We got a foundation down. We're not here to let people slide in this work and start trying to slip around here and start driving wedges. That's what the devil wants to do. Look, Paul's like, I'm concerned about you and I want to cut off occasion that they, that they may be found even as we. Look at verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. They're shapeshifters. <laughs> they're to appearing to be something that they're not. And no marvel, don't shock me, For Satan himself is a shapeshifter. It's right there. It's transformed into an angel of light. It means nothing nowadays. You all take selfies and then you have a little whatever you got set up and that thing makes you look totally different than you actually look, but it's you. Nothing of it. You ever run through your Bible, the references on images? And, and, and change in reality. I told you before recently, you all have seen it because the way you reacted. You ever see somebody post some of their stuff? Like, I saw them yesterday and they look nothing like that, but that woman took 10 years off her life. That photo's a lie. <laughs> it's shape-shifting. That's what he does. He transforms himself into an angel of light. And therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of Righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. You know, you know what you're living in? You're living in that day and age right now where Lucifer realized, all right, they got really smart about cigarettes and they know what they do. They're fighting hard back against the dope. 
I'm here to tell you, I don't think Satan's in the crack house. I mean, maybe in some cases, but nine times out of ten, I don't think so. I think nine times out of ten, Satan's not in the bar. I think he triggers some of you young ones to get going down that road. I think he sends little demonic spirits into your life in the form of what you call friends. And you think it's your friend talking to you and you got no idea what kind of a demonic spirit's in your friend. Getting you to do this and getting you to do that and peer pressure and all the rest of that because he wants to steal what God's trying to give you, destroy the work God plans to do with your life, mess you up and wreck you because your soul is Jesus Christ's if you're saved. If you're not saved, we need to talk. But if you're saved, your soul is Jesus Christ. He can't have your soul, but he wants to wreck your life. But I think once that flesh gets stuck on that stuff, the devil's like, see you later, I got bigger fish to fry. You're good, you're, you're good, it's gone. Your goose is cooked. You shoot that stuff in your veins, bye-bye, have a good life. And he moves on to, to, to fry some bigger fish because your flesh will take care of the rest of it. You know what he's doing now? I'm telling you, I'm warning you. You know what he's doing now? He's in the churches. I'm going to show you Satan has a bride. You're the bride of Christ, aren't you? Yes. Lucifer has a bride. He's got a wife, man. He's copycatting everything Jesus Christ does. He transforms himself into an angel of light. He quotes the Bible. He prints you new Bibles all the time that are easier to understand. And that's why they changed Leviathan to Crocodile, because he don't want you to know who he is. He don't want you to know how he works. That's why they get rid of verses that explain clearly the Trinity. That's why they get rid of verses that talk about the blood. That's why they go through and change just one little, just add one little A, an article. Not even a word, just A. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Oh, you mean then that Jesus wasn't God? That changes everything by adding one little word. That's how the devil works. And so nowadays he's got churches all over this nation standing up and preachers standing in those churches and saying things like, excuse me for being such a broken record, but I want you to understand how demonic it is. Will you take your next steps with Jesus? Well, what in the world does that mean? They won't say, my friend, listen, if you're not saved, that means your sin is on you. And if you die lost, you're going to spend eternity in the lake of fire or that book ain't real. They won't tell you that. That is so demonic. But they hide under that name because they're all about Christ. Jesus, Jesus, how about the Lord Jesus Christ? If you can pull his name out of the song, if it even appears in the songs, and put your girlfriend's name in it and sing it, something's wrong about that thing doctrinally. That is a deception from Lucifer, and it appears so good, and it's so kind and loving and sweet. And then you come into a church where there's Paul, what I've done, I'll keep doing, I'm going to cut him off occasionally. Would you that I come to you with a rod or in the spirit of meekness, and doing it from a heart that's like, I, I don't know how much I care for you. You don't know how much I love you. You don't realize what the devil's trying to do. I'm trying to help you. Hear me. As, oh, he's so hateful. I don't know why he has to yell. Well, you're paying attention right now. (laughs) But you love to go to those places where it's so warm and fuzzy and you don't feel any conviction. You don't feel like, man, I need to find out what that means to be saved. I need to know if my sins are forgiven. I don't want to spend eternity in the lake of fire. You can go to churches now and not know anything about the lake of fire. Now, I'm, I'm just asking you. I'm asking you. I mean, honestly, do you think that's God's man up there Acting and he's 50 and 60 years old or 45 years old trying to look and act like he's 25. Somebody sent me a little clip from a church somewhere. The 60-something-year-old preacher got up there and they all started going, What's up, dude? What's up, dude? Yeah, what's up, dude? He's like, What's up? I'm sorry, you guys. I'm not trying to be an idiot, but... I am out that door so fast. Man, you are 60 cotton-picking years old. Don't you think maybe 
your value is a little bit of difference at this point in your life. Don't you think possibly you as a preacher should have something else to offer besides being cool with the kids? They might love you and respect you and need you if you got some truth in you and cared about standing for something and could help them out instead of just trying to be one of the boys. It's a fraud. And it's demonic. And it won't help you. So if you get your nose bent out of shape and you leave this church, come see me before you go. I'll give you a half a dozen within an hour or more that can get the King James Bible, okay? Go to a church where at least the guy's got the book, but don't go to one of these places that is not of God. It's of the devil. Can I give you just a couple more and I'll let you get out of here? Go to Psalm 74, please. I want to I end it on a better note. Because I don't want to end tonight with you thinking about stuck on the devil. But I want you to understand how he works so you don't fall prey to it. And I also want you to understand why I talk the way I talk and preach the way I preach. And I'm going to keep being straight with you. And I'm going to keep preaching hard by the grace of God. I want my speech to be always with grace, seasoned with salt. And I don't ever want to lose my savor. I don't ever want to lose my edge. Ever. So I'm just telling you. It don't work for me to have anybody like, well, do you think you really should say that? What, what did I cuss? What, what do you mean? What did I say was wrong? Do you think you're too hard? Well, if I am, I'll ask God to show me. I mean, really, I, I honestly will. I, I'm, I'll tell you this much. I'm not, my heart ain't hard towards you. My heart's not hard towards you. But I'm not going to play around with you. I'm not playing around with your kids. I'm not playing patty cake. I don't care if one of your kids loses their cotton picking mine and goes out and becomes a queer. I'm not going to stop preaching on it. That doesn't matter. The truth is the truth. And these kids need to know the truth of the Bible because the devil wants to wreck their lives. And I don't want to see that. And I don't want any responsibility for it. Psalm 74, verse 13. Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. Thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces. And gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. <laughs> now I've already read it. And we'll, we'll dive in a little bit deeper. Because I'm going to move on past the devil point of it. And we'll start running down through the passage next week. And we should make some progress. But that seven-headed dragon, the old serpent, the devil and Satan, is also obviously Leviathan in the Old Testament. And your God, if you're saved, the God Almighty, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, has got so much power that when we go back to Revelation 12 next week and you see this seven-headed dragon come down to the earth, violently angry, trying to wipe out Israel. And we'll spell those verses out for you. He's angry because he got wounded. He knows what's going on. He got cast out of heaven and he swipes his tail. Milton's Paradise Lost tells you that happened back in Genesis. That hasn't happened yet. And he casts a third of the stars to the ground. A third of the demons he cast down with him. Do you hear that? You guys see how much they're looking for life out there right now? Spiritual wickedness where? principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, you know how much you just look at the news. I'm talking mainstream news now, not some weird little, you know, cultish guys that are into this dark stuff. Mainstream news talking about trying to make contact with something out there. <laughs> I remember the old preacher when I was a little kid talking about this stuff before it even became mainstream in the news. And I'm going through these studies and I'm looking at this stuff and I'm like, that old man was an absolute prophet because he was in that book and teaching the Bible and we couldn't see it. But boy, if he could see it now, he was right on. They're coming down. There is stuff coming from outer space. They're coming in the tribulation period. They're going to make contact. And it's happening, but it's actually demonic spirits. It's not some kind of a higher life form here to teach us and we come in peace. And It's not what it is. So God's going to take that. So he's going to, I'm going to show you next week, but he's going to take Israel and hide her out there in Salem Petra and possibly a couple other places, but he's going to hide her. 
And in, what he's going to do for her is the same thing he did last time she was in the wilderness. He's going to feed her with manna from heaven. This time, in the process, in that war between him and the devil, he's going to... One of those heads. I don't know what just fell, but... <laughs> great effect, thanks. <laughs> One of those heads, he's going to take that thing off and splatter that thing all over. And that stuff's going to be coming down out of heaven. And those Israelites are going to be out there eating, feeding on Lucifer to sustain their body. You guys remember when God fed Elijah when he was out there and the brook dried up? Remember you took him to the brook? You guys remember what brought him bread in the morning and bread in the evening? Ravens. (laughs) Ravens? You guys ever read your Bible and run the references on ravens? They're a type of demonic spirits. God was using... He said in Job 41, can thou draw him out with a hook? Can thou play with him? He has no fear of God, but the God you serve, if you're born again and you're serving him and you're in that book, the God you serve has so much power, God will rip one of his heads off to feed his kids. <laughs> That's not all. Let me give you the last reference here. Isaiah chapter 27. Just in case you think I'm making more out of it, I'll give you another cross reference and we'll be done for tonight. Isaiah chapter 27. You ever read through some of these Old Testament passages and just scratch your head like, man, this doesn't make any sense. I don't know what it's saying. Yeah, keep coming to church. Keep studying your Bible, man. You'll be reading your devotions. You'll be like, wow, I get that. That's awesome. This is an interesting book in your lap. I'm telling you, you don't, you don't need to come to church and you have a rock band. Just get the Bible. Get addicted to the Bible. Get your kids addicted to it. It's interesting. Isaiah 27, verse 1. In that day, the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword... What's the sword of the Spirit, folks? What's coming out of his mouth when he comes back, folks? The Word of God. He's going to take his sore and great and strong sword and shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent. That's a crocodile, right? (laughs) Those Bible scholars are the biggest idiots. Not, Not when they believe the book, when they correct the book. They make idiots out of themselves. And then they get you to follow them rather than follow the Bible. I'm not here for that. I'm here to encourage and strengthen your faith in the Bible in your lap because God gave you that book so you can know what God has to say to you. He's going to take it. He's going to punish that piercing servant, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent. And he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Guess who Leviathan is, guys? Couldn't be more obvious, could it? And here's the takeaway for tonight. You are told to fear God, not the devil. Any of you ever feel like the devil's messing with you? Okay, me too. Especially when you start teaching on him for a couple weeks. And you start running the references and you're going to give God's people the truth about him. He becomes a little bit more real than you might imagine. You're not told to fear him. You know what you're told to fear? You don't fear the one that can destroy your body. He can kill you. Big deal. Honestly, big deal. (laughs) I mean, so what? I I don't want to die young because I still feel like I'm young, but I have lived long enough to be like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you know, I got all kinds of hopes and dreams and all that stuff. Maybe someday see some grandkids or whatever. But I've also lived long enough to know that life don't play out like you think and it ain't always what you thought it was going to be and it ain't what it was cracked up to be and it's actually sometimes a disappointment. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be discouraging, you know. But that is kind of reality. Kill me, you kill me. You do me a favor, I'm going over, man. I'm in a place that I don't want, I ain't going to want to come back. Don't fear the one that can destroy your body. Fear him who can destroy the body and the soul in hell. Now here's your verse and we'll be done. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Submit to God. Don't be hard like the devil. Don't be unbending like the devil. Don't be proud like the devil. Submit to God. I asked you a second ago, I'm going to give you the last half of the verse here in a minute. I asked you a second ago, you feel like the devil messes with you. You all said, mm-hmm. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you.
Folks, all this crazy charismatic stuff about rebuking him and speaking over him in Jesus' name and all that stuff. Yeah, that stuff ain't in the Bible. That stuff's religious foolishness. That's why they're always obsessed with the devil and demonic spirits. Don't worry about all that stuff. Get your focus on Jesus Christ, on the Bible, on your Savior. Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. And then when you feel that frustration or you feel that temptation or you feel that stuff, just resist that. And the best thing to do is just, just resist that towards your Savior. Just draw closer to Jesus Christ. Just draw closer to God. Submit to God and let him take care of the rest. Don't get obsessed with the devil, but know about him. So you can say, that ain't right, that's wrong, I'm going the other way. All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed for tonight. Father.